Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 39. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is my pal, Joshua Piper. How are you doing, sir? Good evening. Just had my uh, late dinner, had some sushi, so doing nice. Well. Yeah. What do y'all do for sushi? Y'all have a restaurant y'all know and love? Yeah, well, of course, we just moved into town. We were out in the country a bit, and now we're like right around the bend from our sushi, favorite sushi place, so might not be good for the budget. No. And how do the kids take to sushi? I've not tried to warm up our kids on sushi just yet. I wish they didn't like it because it's so expensive, but yeah, they all love it. Oh, wow. Yep. Cool. Yeah. We get takeout Chinese whenever the in-laws come into town because they're full-time truckers and they're all over the country and uh, Canada and parts of South America. And when they're in town, they love takeout. So we get Chinese and the kids, they're kind of warming up to the orange, uh, sweet and sour <laughs> and lemon chicken. And <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's not really Chinese. No, it's not. <laughs> no. American fried chicken with sweet sauce on it. But <laughs> about as Chinese as it gets is the fried rice. <laughs> so and I don't think that counts. Nope. Well, let's go ahead and introduce our guest is Tim Stringer. He is back. Welcome back, Tim. Oh, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joshua. Great, uh, great to be back on Tectonic. Thank you. And a belated happy Christmas to you. Merry, what am I saying? I'm not English. I'm an American. <laughs> a merry, a belated Merry Christmas to you. And Merry Christmas to you as well. Now, how is it up there in Vancouver land? Ah, it's great. A little, little chilly at the moment. We're right around the, the freezing mark, but uh, got lots of nice powder on the, the mountains uh, just north of the city. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... All yeah. right. Well, the whole wide world is ushering in winter right here at the end of the year. They check that off the list. Then, you know, I think God was thinking, oh yeah, let, let me get to that. We're going to talk about things that were our goals for 2015 and 2016 and beyond. And I thought that this would be a good episode to discuss these things and a little bit. Uh, hey, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be cliche, Tim, but you are the productivity guy. And this is the end of the year. So uh, we're going to talk about goals setting, time management, project management, uh, task management, calendar management, all the managements, all the good managements. Sounds uh, great. Some of my favorite topics. So. Yeah. Now, now, what are you doing uh, this year? Was 2015 a good year for you? Uh, yeah, it was a very good year. And um, you were talking about goals a moment ago, and goals really made a big difference this year and just being clear on where I was going. And it wasn't so much about meeting every goal exactly the way I planned it a year ago, but it was about having a clear sense of direction and a clear sense of where I was going to to put my time and energy. And I think most importantly, reviewing it regularly and having a weekly ritual about uh, looking at what are some goals I'm actively working towards. And then about once a month, checking in on all the ones, whether I was actively uh, working towards them at that point as well. And uh, just made a made a big difference. And also sharing those goals with, with people. I'm part of a mastermind group and uh, we meet uh, pretty much every, every week. And um, and the fact that I'm talking about what I'm up to and where I'm going and things like that just makes it feel much more real and getting the support from the group. Um, yeah, it's amazing how much of a difference that can make. Okay, because I want to pick your brain about goals for a second here. I have a problem with goals and I, I want to get to that. But first, I wanted you to talk about some of the other things you got going on right around the corner here. You've got in January, a special event for the Learn Omni Focus website. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, one one big change this year is I've uh, started to invite guests to be a part of uh, of the Learn Omni Focus webinar series, and I've had some some great guests so far: Joe Bulig and David Sparks, Karush uh, Dini, who wrote the literally wrote uh, the book on um, on uh, Omni Focus, and uh, Joe Bulig, who I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, as well, and uh, Sven Fetchner has been on, who's who's really well known in that that sphere. And my next guest, I'm really excited to have on, is uh, Sean Blanc, and I've been a big fan of his work for many years, uh, and just admire not only what he shares, but just the the sort of the beauty and the, the graphic elements uh, the, that he he shares it through. And uh, so he'll be the the next guest, which will be on January 20, 28th. All right. Yeah, he's Sean is a real great guy. I enjoyed having him when he discussed the Focus course, the version 1.0, a few months ago with us. And one of the reasons I love his program, what he's what he's doing, is that he's really melding together the media and the internet and the themes of productivity, but he's making them accessible for everyone in such a clean way. You can get the the technicalities out of out of the way so you can focus very much so just on the content that he has to provide with the learn was at the uh, focus the focus course sorry i'm getting them confused the learn focus course (laughs) in a minute i'm going to be seeing the learn focus omni focus course Um, but yeah no sean's got this cohesive approach with the website and i took the course a few months ago when we first talked about it with sean and he just released sort of the 2.0 a couple of days ago and that's uh, that's really special, and I'm sure you're going to talk more about that when you get him on your your own little workflow shop there. Yeah, for sure. And um, the focal point will be OmniFocus itself, but we're definitely going to be, uh, I'm sure, talking about some general best practices for productivity and maintaining focus and so forth. And, yeah, because yeah. He, he gets really deep into the general practices and the abstracts, but he doesn't point you into any particular direction like, use this tool, I endorse OmniFocus. And so, though it's a very rich series, I feel like maybe learnomnifocus.com is a great follow-up to the focus course, because if you're new to these things, or if you just need a refresher, it's been a while since you took GTD seriously, what I just say GTCD? No, no, <laughs> GTD. Seriously, then then check it out. The, the combination focus course and then the follow-up of the learnomnifocus.com course. I think that's a great way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the tools are important, but it's there's sometimes a tendency to put too much emphasis on the tools. Um, so I always try to emphasize that they are there. They are tools. They they can make the process easier, but um, it ultimately comes down to best practices and habits and and things like that, and which to some extent are are kind of tool agnostic. But having some good tools to help to apply them, like OmniFocus, um, can make a difference. It's just OmniFocus in isolation. You could know the app inside out, and it's not really going to make much of a difference unless you have some strategy for how you're going to use it to have a sense of where you're going in your life and your work and all of this. So so I think it's a really key distinction to make. Well, that bleeds through Learn OmniFocus, your your own course, very well. I feel like you you demonstrate the strategy with every little lesson that you can take there, learning the tool as well as the mindset. And that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I'm, I've been discovering for years really is that there also isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. And sometimes people have quite different lives. Uh, 
some people's lives are more about like someone like um, Sean or myself for doing a lot of content creation. Whereas let's say a doctor working in an ER ward is, is not going to be able to plan out their day, but they need to be very good at responding to kind of whatever, whoever walks in the door. So it's, so it's also kind of learning how different people in different situations are going to approach us and what are kind of the core best principles, which I think is essentially what David Allen shares in getting things done and how can those most be conveniently be applied in these, all these different scenarios. Okay, well then, the first major thing I wanted to discuss with you, Tim, and you too, Joshua, in in review of goals and projects that we have had in 2015 and thinking about the future, I always wrestle with this concept of goal setting because I, I haven't had the best experience with goals. I do really well with projects. I do well with like core values of a mission or the team. But then I don't really understand the difference between uh, say the completion of a project, the the completion of the workday, or maybe like uh, things I want to do over the course of a, a month long period, and really coming to grips with what sounds like a goal. It, it feels like sometimes my goals are just naturally too they're too general. They're they're not very specific, and so it's really hard to nail them down. And then sometimes they're so specific they just sound like completing five or six projects back to back that all have something in common. So maybe a goal would be launch a new podcast. Does that sound like a goal or does that sound like a, just a supersized project made up of many other projects like build the website and find the music and find a co-host and, you know, talk about it and form outlines and, you know, record some shows and pick a date for the first release. What does a real goal look like, Tim? Uh, I tend to treat a goal more along the lines of something like launch the podcast. It's It's got a, a bit more kind of weight to it. Um, and in a case like that, as you pointed out, there's probably going to be multiple outcomes in, in support of that larger goal. So you might have a project, which is to do your set up your podcasting setup, for instance, which might involve doing some research or uh, so there's there's various components to it, and trying to treat that all as one great big project is what tends to create overwhelm. Uh, versus dividing, taking that goal and saying, okay, what's what's one outcome I could achieve that's going to move me closer to that goal? I find that's a much more um, much easier way to approach it, and it it brings things more into focus. It's not trying to do, it's not trying to reach ten outcomes for the same goal all at once. Maybe just take one at a time or. Maybe you're working on a couple in parallel, but by getting it broken down to a point where the the short term outcome, the project feels manageable, and it's also aligned with the larger goal. If that makes sense. Okay. So sometimes the goal for the ball team today is to win this game, but the the project may be broken down into segments of the innings or the quarters of the game. And yeah, but then, or you could uh, say yeah. the uh, just, or you could even say the goal is to win the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. And the project might be to win the game today, might too. Yeah, I was thinking that too. So would you would you uh, keep the overall goal out of OmniFocus and just focus on the projects, or, or, or would it be a very high level project be the goal, or would a folder be the goal and then many projects within the folder? Yeah. 
Yeah, either um, I would just put the one project in OmniFocus um, and track the goal elsewhere, or in some cases, I'll, I'll create a, a project which, is, which essentially matches the name of the goal. So like when I was launching Learn OmniFocus, there was quite a few different moving pieces. There was the whole sort of membership system and then the, the marketing side of it and developing content and so forth. So those were all, those fit pretty neatly into their own projects, but the goal was ultimately to have the the site up and running in a specific date. And um, so in that case, I did have a, a folder called Launch Learn OmniFocus. And then within that, I had all different different projects. Mm. Um, in other cases, that might be kind of overkill. It might be enough just to have a project in there. That's, if I were, an example might be if I were building a new house where there's lots of decisions to be made, maybe there's an architect to be hired or buying the plot of land and all these different things. So those could easily be their own projects. And maybe that goal actually takes a few years to, to come to fruition, but I can at least see that I'm making some progress each year towards that, that goal. That helps me so much. I wish that I had had this perspective concerning goals just over the course of 2015, because I've heard definitions of goals and I've read books, but none of them really clicked for me. And I felt like it was difficult to nail down the distinction between a pile of projects and what a goal is. And so I was actually just today cleaning out a bunch of lists in the app on iOS called Clear. And I use Clear for uh, bigger lists that don't have to do with like groceries or errands or things I need to check off for today. But they're just things I want to get done in general like a, like maybe a wish list of apps I would like to buy and check out sometime that would go into the the clear list app on iOS and then I'll have that on my Mac and every time I come across a good article that says hey here's a beautiful app you need to check out something that Federico Fatici recommends on Mac Stories I'm like oh that looks good but I don't have the time to read his review today and download the app and use it I'll add that to clear and when I get to it I get to it on vacation so when I was clearing out clear, I came across the list for 2015 goals and I completed four out of seven and I started to, to break down like, well, what made these goals versus projects? And that's when I think it dawned on me what made sense to me as a goal. And it sounds like your thinking is aligning with mine. On the other end of this, there is journaling, and I love the idea of journaling. Do you incorporate journaling into your process, Tim? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much a daily practice, and it has been, I guess, for must be two or three years now. It's uh, it's so ingrained, and journaling is kind of I, the way I tend to approach it is just kind of a stream of consciousness sort of thing. Just uh, whatever is going on in my mind gets put into, in my case, day one. I find just actually seeing my thoughts on the computer screen or on my iPhone or whatever I'm using at the time allows me to be much more objective about them because it's, I think, next to impossible to see our thoughts objectively. We need to have them be external in order to see, you know, is this a good idea? Does this make sense? And then there's just that kind of relief of, um, of taking something out of my head and putting it somewhere else so I don't feel I need to kind of hold it there and Mm. So did you use something for journaling before day one came about? Uh, I've I had a paper journal for a while. It's the type of thing I'd sometimes do if I were on a vacation, especially if I were off in like India or somewhere where I'd, uh, and there were so many interesting things happening. But I never really got into a good habit until day one came along. And um, 
there's something about that app. I don't know what it is. I think it's it's a beautifully designed app, and it's so convenient to to pull it up. And I like the fact that I can put photos in there too, which is not always so practical with a paper journal. So, so I think that's really what turned things around. And uh, yeah, it just became a habit. I would totally recommend A1 as well. I use it on iOS and the Mac and the iPad. It's well, yeah, the iPhone. The thing for me about that app is, like you said, Tim, it's really got a great design. It feels distinct. It doesn't feel like any other app. You know, so many of these other apps, they start to blend together. And so sometimes it's hard to focus on, well, what do I actually want to use my web browser for? It looks like the place where I write for the website and where I visit Facebook. It's it's all the same, right? And so you pin tabs and you've got Google Drive and Google Docs and Gmail right alongside of Facebook, which is a horrible, horrible practice and nobody should do that. For myself, I, I find that an app like Day One, because it does have a distinct look and feel, it feels like you you just picked up a good-looking notebook or a good-looking journal, and it, it has one sole purpose. This is where you get some journaling done. And I like the best practices I've found from the suite setup and others with this mindset that you, know, you journal progress. You look at how you can produce some more progress tomorrow. And so you reflect on what you did today and where you're going with things tomorrow. Maybe write down at the end of your entry the three things you want to get done in the following 24 hours. And it's a stream of consciousness. For me, it's more like halftime where I take a a break to write down in my journal and then I get back to work again afterwards. Oh, I know what I'm thinking about. A good metaphor here. Have y'all seen The Martian? Uh, no, I'm uh, going to be renting it very soon. I've heard good things. <laughs> Excellent. So no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> I, I feel like sounding the no spoilers horn right now because I'm not going to spoil anything for you. It does include Mars. Uh, is that a spoiler? <laughs> oh, Mars is involved. Mars is involved, yeah. Well, <laughs> the way that a, a good astronaut would get things journaled is he'd have a log and he would use that for his own personal reference and for NASA as well. And so it's used very cleverly in the movie and in the novel where you get to uh, understand what the astronaut is up to when otherwise he wouldn't have the occasion to talk about it to somebody because nobody else is with the Martian. So, So you get to hear what he's thinking because he produces a log. I love the way that he created a log as the Martian. He's doing it for um, for himself and for NASA's benefit. And just the way that he did it, though, is exactly how I like to keep a journal. And day one serves as the the tool where I get my kind of journal done, like the Martian. So uh, he was great inspiration. I'm sure you'll enjoy that, Tim, when you get to that little detail in the film. Oh, yeah, definitely. Then, Yeah, mm. maybe might even have to rent it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it three times in the theater just because I was so inspired by what they did with that character. I really did. Wow. I considered going back to see it again just a week ago when we were approaching the uh, Christmas break. And then it came out on iTunes. And I was like, all right. So somebody gave me an iTunes gift card for Christmas and I'm all set. Yep. We, we bought it this weekend too. I wanted to show my wife and some of the older kids. And uh, we, we were going to rent it, but it's not available to rent quite yet, at least in the US. So yeah, we bought it. It's it's a great movie, you know. We we don't normally buy movies, but it was it's that good. Mm, very cool. Yeah, among my top three for the film or for the year. But okay. maybe, some people would call that a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. I love the film, everybody. Yeah. So Tim, uh, progress. Uh, the, any any other thoughts concerning goals? Uh, I think uh, one of the most important ones, and this is this is a realization that allowed goals to be much more 
sort of accessible and fun is that just because you set a goal, it doesn't mean you actually need to achieve it. Um, because I've had cases where I've been working towards a goal and it was useful to have that goal to work towards. But then I realized there was another destination that was that opened up as I went down that path. And in some cases, the goal kind of changed a little bit. In some other cases, it changed quite radically. Um, but it's so it's being willing to uh, to kind of review the goals regularly is, is is really key, but then also being willing to revise them and even throw them out the window if they don't make sense anymore. So it's it's again just getting back to what's the purpose of the goals, and, and it's not it's not about the goal in a sense. Mm. It's really about the the momentum and the kind of the as, as Stephen Covey talks about the clock and the compass. The goal is what gives the the compass a meaning, gives some direction. Well, then how do you avoid feeling the disappointment of not reaching a goal? And also maybe related to this would be, how do you manage long-term goals? Like what is the longest term goal you're willing to set? I, I, I fear that if I, you know, one day I wake up and I'm 40 and I set a goal that I thought, yeah, I can get these done, this particular goal done in 10 years. I'm only 30 now. And when I'm 40, I should have this done. And I look at my goals list and I didn't get it done. I'll feel this great sense of overwhelming loss. Like, really, Joe, you blew it for 10 years. What were you doing? How do you manage uh, that expectation that I got to get all the goals done? Like you just said, you in hindsight, you decide, well, some of these goals didn't even need to be done. Mm -hmm. But how do you manage the the fear of not reaching the goal at, at this time of year? I think that that's a sensitive issue. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to set goals, but they don't want to become that cliche that quits the goal the third week of January. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I guess I don't set out to achieve all my goals, so maybe I set my expectations a little lower around that. And so, if I don't pursue a goal for whatever reason, it's there's no, it's no big deal because I've got uh, I've got plenty more to work towards. It's the ones that are farther away. Those are the ones I, I kind of just give myself an opportunity to play with and just um, even throw out wild ideas and maybe bring them to my mastermind group or something like that. And because those are the ones that are probably not going to be come into focus. Like like let's say it's a plan for the business for five years, and I have a sense of where I'll be in five years, but I could be somewhere completely different because there's things that haven't happened in 2016 that might might affect that. So it's it's about uh, being committed to at least reviewing the goal and coming up with one in the first place, but but not making not making it so cast in stone that I must do this. You know, otherwise I'm a total embarrassment or something like that that's that actually is <laughs> yeah. that's actually counterproductive i would say oh yeah and and the closer a goal gets like i've got um goals for january that are really well defined at this point um I'm, chances are i will complete them in january if they get completed in february then you know that's not the end of the world so it's the the shorter the time frame i think the more definition that's needed then and if it's a longer time frame then there's there's a sense, there's probably a sense of being able to, to just kind of play with it some more. And but in some cases, if it's a longer term time frame, maybe it needs to still be very focused because it's a, a very specific objective that's working towards. So, yeah. yeah. So it's um, yeah, just looking at what is the purpose for the goal and not just creating a goal because, you know, somebody said you need to or it's the right thing to do or something like that. Just see what purpose does this serve in my my life and work and look at what the answer to that question is. Mm. Okay. 
Well, then uh, added to this, getting onto the other lower level of things beneath the goals, we have the tasks and projects. And you wanted to discuss the collaborative task management versus the personal task management. This is something that I think became a more popular subject matter over 2014 and 15, as you saw more online collaborative uh, systems, like what what is one of them is called Alexis. Uh, You've used him. It begins with an A. Oh, Asana. Asana, thank you. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, and that one rose to popularity among a, a, a large group. And then you have the old faithful, the the base camp. Mm-hmm. And then Trello was introduced a few years ago. And now everybody seems to think that Slack is their pro, their collaborative task management system if you're not already adhering to something else. And uh, I've, I've, I've found it more difficult to acclimate to collaborative task management because there's different expectations and different approaches you see a lot of different personalities come through with how they use the tools so i was wondering what challenges have you seen tim in your field of expertise and how do you think that people get the best collaborative task management done yeah this is definitely a hot topic i actually did a whole webinar on this called using OmniFocus in a team setting and part of it is that distinction between what are the what are the tasks that only I need to see? What's the level of detail that I only need to see versus what? Uh, how can I best work within a team environment where there's a group of people working towards a common objective? I think the default way of operating in, within a time team environment, and I see this even in some really large companies, uh, much to my shock and, and surprise, is to use email just to make requests back and forth. And oh. email is just really, email isn't a project management solution. It's a handy <laughs> way to send messages back and forth. It can complement a project management solution, but it's just not not well suited to managing any, any sort of projects. <laughs> Well, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on Slack. I forget that people still use email for task management. <laughs> and Slack, I, I've spent some time with it. It's I see it more as kind of a real, real-time communications platform. So it it doesn't really it doesn't replace a project management solution, but it could be a really nice complement to it. Yeah, there's a few people that are using it alongside of Wonderlist, and I believe there's some integrations between the two. Yeah, and with Asana as well, I believe they have some integration with Slack now. So it's so it's more like you can think of Slack as like the meeting room that you go to to discuss an idea, but then the actual tasks that make up the project, those could be moved into something like Wonderlist or Asana or something like that. And, mm. um, and so I work with uh, contractors uh, that do like web development and graphics design and things like that. So if I needed a change to the website, for instance, I would just create a task within Asana for that person. And then um, if they needed to discuss it, maybe there's some clar- clarification or they want to give me an update, then there's a whole discussion thread just for that task. And then once it's um, once it's done, it, they just mark it complete. And then I, without even talking to them or sending emails back and forth, I can see that that's actually been taken care of. It makes for much a, a much smoother process. And then if other people are joining the team, then they can even see what's in progress. And I can see how much is on each people's plates, things like that. It's yeah, it's really, really become an essential 
So how deep do you go using the tools in programs like Asana? Do you feel comfortable using all the features? Do you, I mean, I don't know if you can tag things. It's been a while since I used Asana. How fiddly do you use the tools and who do you expect to manage uh, the, the tools and everything going into it as much as you do? Like, can you really rely on the teams to keep up with it? Because it, I had was one working in this one office environment and uh, one of the difficulties we had was everybody wanted to have their own personal task management system and they didn't want to input the tasks twice. And it, uh, in some cases, some people wanted to use Asana for their personal use or just another program altogether. And so what inevitably happened was there was this friction where people thought, I've done it once, it's entered into this log once. Oh yeah, I forgot all about Asana. What's going on over there? Oh, well, the manager's been putting things in here for a while now and nobody's paid attention to them. Yeah, these things are done, but nobody's checking them off. How do you juggle this issue between personal and collaborative? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the I think the most important thing is that the upfront is to come come up with an agreement about how this tool is actually going to be used. And the way I tend to promote it, and I've done lots of work with teams where I've introduced solutions like Asana, um, I, I tend to promote it as a, an email replacement. So I basically say, you know, instead of uh, uh, sending an email to someone saying, well, you do this, or can you provide this information or whatever it is, to actually just give them a task in Asana, because uh, then you can see what's going on. They can ask you questions about it without the the sort of the hassle of managing it through an email client. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so that's that's one way of doing it as a kind of a stepping stone. I think the reality is uh, a lot of times people assign tasks or delegate tasks. They're really not delegating a task. They're delegating more of a project. So if I assign, let's say someone assigns a task to me to research a specific topic or to choose a tool, maybe I actually spend the whole week doing that. So I would actually have an OmniFocus project where I kind of manage the details of that separate from Asana. And then I would link that OmniFocus project to Asana because you can have a unique URL for each each task and each project in Asana and in most most task managers as well. So the people, the, the person that assigned me that task is probably not that interested in the nitty gritty of how I'm working on it. And I'm using OmniFocus. Someone else might be using paper system to keep track of the specifics of what they're doing. Someone might be using a different task manager. So it doesn't really matter at that point. The key is that there's a common place where everyone on the team can see what each other is up to and can discuss and provide updates and things like that. Okay. So I am familiar with the the web tools and OmniFocus, and I didn't understand the idea you proposed where you create a link between the two. What do you mean by a link in OmniFocus that is going to or from Asana? If I were in a project in Asana and I go up to the, to the uh, look at the URL, it's got a, a URL that's unique to that, that project. And what I can do is copy and paste that uh, URL into my OmniFocus task or project, whatever makes sense. So that whenever I click on that, it's going to bring up Asana and I'll be taken right to that um, that project or that task or whatever, whatever I've linked to. Okay. And if you want to get really fancy, you can use something like Zapier to automatically create a, something in the OmniFocus inbox whenever a task or a project or something is assigned assigned to a specific individual. So there's ways of automating this uh, if you want to hmm. 
go a little bit deeper, but even without any automation, it's it's nice to have that connection to say this project relates to this task in Asana. When I'm finished this project, I'm going to go over to Asana and mark it complete. And then the rest of the team knows that uh, that I've done that work. Okay. So it's uh, yeah, I find it actually works quite well. It's Yeah, that sounds great. Maybe not 100% ideal, but it's it's definitely manageable. And the key is being consistent around using these tools. And once that consistency is there, then I find it can work work really well. Right. The consistency of, well, getting everybody on the same page, like they just stop using email for task management. And yep. that'd be the biggest hurdle. But because that is so monumental, I think when you flash that in front of people, it would uh, send a huge impression on them. So if they if they take it serious, if they say yes to that, then more than likely they will remember that that's what we agreed to on Monday. So I better keep that in mind as I go about my daily business. Because if people don't see me in Asana today, then they, they're they going to assume I was back at emails and I goofed up. <laughs> so. Or if there's a due date, if someone agrees to have this complete by Friday, let's say, and it's not completed, then there's kind of an integrity issue that comes up around that. Right, exactly. It's keeping everybody on the same same page is key. And and if if people have different ideas about when things are happening or when they're due or things like that, that's when that just creates stress for everybody. So then why do you feel the need to use tools in addition to the collaborative tools? I think a lot of people would say, wouldn't it be simpler and more minimalistic and more desirable, more efficient to just stick to one tool and keep it all there, the collaborative work and the personal work. Um, and Asana, some people do use it for personal work as well. And you can actually have different workspaces. So I could have a workspace for like the family where we plan family vacations and I could have another one for the business and they're all they're all separate. So somebody that's part of one workspace can't see the other. So, so there's certainly that option there. In my case, uh, OmniFocus is essentially the hub that tells me what do I do next. And because I might be involved in some collaborative projects in Asana, but I might also be doing some community projects and that community is using Basecamp. So there could be all kinds of systems. And I find it very useful just to have one go-to list. And that list might be a daily reminder to check a project in Asana or something like that. So I don't neglect it or it might be to review something in Basecamp. But the key thing is I just have one place to go to, to say what's next. Nice. There's something though about OmniFocus that I love so much, and it's still the project management tool, the task management tool I still use today, is that it's just like old reliable. They keep updating the thing though, and so it still feels very modern. It's keeping the, up with the times for iOS and the Mac. And if you're using Apple's platform, and you haven't considered OmniFocus, you should check it out if you're in the market because it's been long established as one of the the greater apps in its category. And didn't Apple just give them another like best of for 2015? Yeah, I think they won a, a the uh, the Apple Watch uh, might have won an award. I know they've got a couple of couple of awards recently too. And OmniFocus was in there. I think OmniGraffle as well. Nice. But they they do really top-notch products. And I've met a lot of the people from the team, and they just live and breathe uh, productivity down at the Omni Group and have such an enthusiastic, upbeat team. And yeah, so it's not, I think the the quality of the product is really a reflection of all the the uh, the care that goes into it and the enthusiasm. Okay. And Joshua, you took more of the Learn Omni Focus course earlier this year. 
that uh, Tim developed himself. So any thoughts about the course and uh, what, what it's like for people? Give it a little review. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess I can give you a kind of the, a, a big picture, you know, of uh, where it came into my life and where I was at the time. You know, I, I'm married. We've got six kids. We've, our, our lives have been hectic for many years and we've tried so many different things to get control. And, but you've been very productive. <laughs> we've been productive in, in that, that way. Yes. But trying to stay sane is a whole other, whole other subject. So we've, we've tried so many different things and, and I heard about OmniFocus, but didn't pull the trigger. I thought, eh, 40 bucks. I don't know if I want to go that route. But, you know, it was right after, I think it was right after our uh, first talk with Tim that pushed me over the edge. I thought, okay, I got to pull the trigger and get this, get this tool. And I, I, and I think it was around the same time I heard the uh, latest David Allen interview on Mac power users. So, so both of those things combined and then uh, started doing the learn OmniFocus course. And all of this sort of came together at just the right, <laughs> the right time in my life uh, as we were really facing some, some uh, challenges uh, you know, I was losing sleep and just worrying about a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things. So I just want to say, you know, thank you, Tim, uh, I guess for, uh, being part of, part of the, 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 uh, small little part in, in, uh, in, in helping us to really get our, our heads on straight and get things organized. And I guess just focusing on the, on the course, the, a lot of, a lot of little, little tricks that I, that weren't intuitive, you know, and I, and I keep coming back every once in a while and, and checking and just learned a few things on, on, I think your, might've been your latest video, you know, how you can kind of copy and paste into OmniFocus. Didn't know that until today. So a lot of little tricks and, and tips that I would highly recommend. Uh, the big picture of integrating OmniFocus and GTD and that sort of thing to get better control and it helps smooth the way. Along this line, Tim, the other day you shared an article on Twitter by The Economist. It's uh, why is everyone so busy? when Joshua was just saying how he got it to a point where he was overwhelmed with busyness that I've thought about that in many respects at different times of the year as well. And this was in part for the friction I was experiencing with goals I'd created that may have been unrealistic or goals I should have, I should have eventually let go of, and I wasn't willing to let go of them. So I sat down to enjoy that read that you shared and I, I go to bed and I opened it up. It was really long, but it was it was great. It was great bedtime reading material. It, it was a real snoozer, but I got through it. And it, but it's really important material where it's talking about how all of our lives have changed. Where this this great sense of overwhelm, where everybody feels like they have too much to do and no time to do it. They give great rationale and good excuses for why we don't feel like we can ever get enough done. Sometimes it's economical, like well, time is money. And I'm not getting enough done because I'm not getting enough money. So I got to get more work done. And so I have no room for margin in the rest of the year. And then other people who have conflicts as parents and also being professionals and not having enough time for family as well as the professional work. This is what GTD is like all about, right? I mean, what is your anecdote to this, Tim? Coming near the end of the article, I was thinking, well, where are you going to state the solution? Where are you going to provide people some direction concerning these issues? And that never comes together in the article. It just ends with a, don't worry, I know everyone is freaking out and ready to jump off a bridge, but don't go do that just yet. Everything's going to be okay if we uh, if we imagine that there's got to be hope somehow. I just didn't really feel like there was a good direction at the end of the article. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think maybe the point of the article is a bit more sort of an awareness raising, uh, just sort of painting a picture of how things are now, and they don't have to be this way. It's just the way things have have developed and evolved and so forth. And being willing to step back and say, okay, um, what is the relationship between time and money? And is this something I grew up with that that if you work harder, you're going to get ahead and things like that. Work longer hours, you know, you're going to get ahead and this is essential. And if you're not working long hours, you're not, uh, you're, you're being lazy or whatever stories come up around that. So it's, I think the invitation in the article was for people to look at their own relationship to time and, and money and all of that and just say, is this, is this, is this working for me? Is this, uh, this the way I want to live my life or is there another another option here? And I think what they didn't really get into was what's the other option. Yeah, not a lot of people are good about formulating ideas, making opinions about those ideas, and drawing conclusions and being decisive with taking course of action. Everybody can identify the problems. People are really good at identifying what fills up their work week and their weekend and why they're losing sleep. They, they have identified the problems really well, they just haven't identified solutions very well. And I think oftentimes it's because what we want to get done in the day is not feasible for much of anyone. And maybe what we want to get done in the week is not feasible either. Really, we need to create a, a understanding that that expectation we set for ourselves for a work week really needs to be like the workload of two or three weeks for the people who get stressed out about it. Now, my advice to other people, other schools of personality, I'd actually give them different advice. I'd say, hey, if you don't feel like you're overwhelmed like ever, if you don't have work experience stress, then you probably aren't using a task management system and you have no clue where you're spending your time. And maybe you want to, what I guess I'm saying is there's some friction here. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't use a system, you don't have as much awareness of where your time is going and you accomplish very little. And once you start using a system of any kind, whether it's on paper or in Asana, Wonderlist, you name it, you begin to develop this awareness. And that friction then causes people not to despair, but to realize just how little they actually get done. Because we cannot be that focused and we cannot get everything done in a day we want to get done in a day. We don't get to spend the quality family time and write the latest brilliant bestseller app in a day. Yeah, and I think the one of the biggest pieces that's missing in all of this is taking the time to actually pause and reflect, getting back to what we were talking about with journaling and and maybe trying to do things more efficiently, but not even questioning are these things actually worth doing in the first place. And it's so easy to get caught into that busy trap. But I think especially in this day and age where we're you know, we can we're standing in line at the bank and we can take our phone out of our pocket and be engaging with something without really saying is this something that um I even want to be engaging with at this point it's or is it is this actually serving any purpose or is it bringing me any enjoyment or is it making life better on the planet things like that so it's it, those pauses are so essential mm. whether it's journaling or i meditate pretty much every morning i was walking in the forest yesterday and sometimes i come back from those walks and just feel so so clear and and but just trying to put in more and more time and hope that things are going to change is uh, pretty futile in my experience. <laughs> well, that's my experience. Well, we're on the same page then. <laughs> <laughs> so in relation to where you managed to find the time to go meditate and take the walk through the forest, how do you work that into your schedule? How does scheduling work in relation to 
your task management system. What's the difference between your scheduling system and the task management system? The the short answer of that is the the task management system is the the what like what outcomes am I working towards what actions are going to be taken things like that, and then the calendar is the when so when am I actually going to do this work and and one thing especially when I get busy I find is pretty much essential is actually blocking off time especially if it's a project that that needs to be done by a certain date. And as I block off time for those important things, then I have a realistic sense of how much time is left over. Um, so if I say I've blocked off, let's say I'm working eight hours today and I've blocked off seven of the hours, then I realize that it doesn't make sense to have a big, long task list for the rest of the other stuff because it's it's just not going to fit into the day. And that's that's totally fine. And it does emphasize the fact that time needs to be spent on these really important things. And so some people will even say what what doesn't get scheduled doesn't get done. And I think there's a, a certain amount of truth to that. And not to say you need to schedule every detail of the day, because that can that can feel kind of constricting if life is overscheduled. And, and none of us knows how our day is going to go anyway. So it's uh, uh, but but just at least being intentional about blocking off certain times for things that really need to get done and mm. and being kind of agile at uh, adapting to the the unpredictability of life. Okay. Well, I have a confession to make here then, Tim. Because of the Apple Watch, I started thinking more seriously about time tracking. The Apple Watch introduced ways to, you know, track the little things you're doing. It introduced the calendar on my wrist in addition to the time. And from there, I heard great things about, you know, pedometers. So you could know your every step that you had taken and whether or not you had exercised enough. Did you st- stand up from your desk enough today? And with all this kind of tracking system stuff, I quickly turned to sleep trackers. And just I found it to be this novel thing, you know, why not? It sounds like a healthy thing, right? It Like, don't I want something to bring to my attention whether or not I'm getting enough sleep in, at night or not? And if I'm doing poorly the last few nights, I need to bring more of my focus to that tonight and do better and get to bed earlier or, you know, change other habits so that I get a better kind of sleep and maybe uh, drink less before bed and you know, spend less time on the television and wind down with a good book. You know, wouldn't that be encouraged because... I was bringing to my attention what I was doing with my life with a sleep tracker on my wrist. And with all these things I I did on the watch, I started thinking, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to start tracking my sleep in my calendar app itself just to see if this is beneficial or not. And I kid you not, using Fantastical, I created a calendar just for sleep for a few months. And I found out I wasn't the only person on the internet who does this. So I feel like I'm, I'm not alone here in making this confession. A lot of people feeling like, well, if I'm going to be efficient, shouldn't I be scheduling every second of the day? And if I'm going to schedule every second of the day, so that I can look back on my week and know where I've spent my time. And if someone asks me, what were you doing on Monday at 11.50 a.m.? I can tell them exactly what I was doing because every moment was filled. Then wouldn't I also track my sleep so that I could know, oh, yeah, that Tuesday three months ago, I slept in because I was at work till midnight the night before. But there was a reason and I actually derived some sense of accomplishment from it. Have I taken it too far? 
does this ever help anyone? I think there is, uh, I think there's medication for that. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify, are you, is this more of a tracking? Like you're looking back and saying, I slept 10 hours, or are you saying I'm planning to sleep from midnight till 8 a.m.? It's both. It's, it's both, it's, okay. Yeah, and, and I'm not telling you what I'm planning to do for 2016 just yet. I'm looking back on what I did for 2015. Right, okay. But it's, so you might put things into calendar after the fact yeah. based on like the data you get from your watch. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. I think there's, uh, at the end of the day, is, uh, is it actually uh, helping or hindering, I guess is the question to ask. I find when things like sleep, I think our bodies generally like being in rhythm. So ideally kind of going to bed at the same time every day, getting up at the same time is probably going to be more, most balanced for most people. And that could get a bit boring and might want to, kind of break out of that mold sometimes but as a general rule i think that's um that will work best for most people but it can be useful leading up to that to do some kind of data collection or even when establishing those habits just to say okay this is the routine i've been in for the last week you know how how's, how are my energy levels during the day you know what what has shifted as a result of some change i've made around my sleep and and the sleep is so fundamental and i think it's one of those things that uh is, is time well spent. Uh, uh, so bringing some awareness to it, do, using like a, an app to track it for a couple of weeks, I think can be be very useful. And after a while, maybe that won't even be necessary because the new, the data has been collected, the new habits have been established and can put the focus somewhere else. Okay, that is essentially what I, what I've come to grips with is that I don't need to use a sleep tracking app in the long term, like every day of the year. But what I do want is to have what I've done on my calendar because that I can quickly see seven days of the week all in a row. And that tells me whether or not I'm performing better in general or what I want to perform at all. Whereas the sleep trackers, they, they tend to try and isolate just today and they tell you, well, your sleep quality was 79%. And it feels like I never could get over 90 and even when I felt myself like I got a really good refreshing night's sleep, I'd feel like, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> I feel really good today. So sometimes I think that th this is still an experimental phase with the, with the tracker apps, but still I found other benefits to keeping a log of the sleep alongside of everything else I did with my time. Yeah. But I'm going to cut myself a lot of slack for 2016. Looking forward... I think that it's more important to evaluate, like you said, what is helping, what is hindering Tim, but also what is actually bringing me some kind of value. Sometimes we just, as nerds, we get lost in the weeds and record everything and we, we get really detailed in a way that's not helpful and it's not hindering, but it's just a waste of time. Yeah. And it's, it's not guaranteeing any sort of success. It's really not focused. And it can be something as simple as waking up in the morning and just feeling really energized and and looking back and saying, okay, what did I, what supported me in having good quality sleep last night? And oh yeah, I didn't watch TV right before bed or what, whatever is there. So it's it's even without the technology being present, just uh, just being curious about, okay, I slept for ten hours and I'm exhausted versus I slept for seven hours and I'm full of energy and what what's kind of different there and exactly kind of play a little, do a little detective work to get to the source of that. Okay. Well, we're, we're running low on time, so I want to get to the app that we would recommend for calendaring. 
And I think we all agree here, and this is why I think it's relevant and worth mentioning in the last minutes. I use Fantastical, and y'all do too, right? Yep. Yeah, I use it on the uh, iOS. Uh, I just don't spend enough time on my Mac to make it worth it on the Mac. But yeah, I, I definitely love it on the on my iPhone. And Tim, you were mentioning before that you have used the, the Apple Watch for some of your productivity this year. Mm-hmm. How did that work out? And were you using calendaring off of the Apple Watch? I was just curious. Uh, I don't do too much calendaring on the Apple Watch except to kind of see what's my next appointment or something like that or take a quick glance at the day. Mm. Uh, from a productivity point of view, it's being able to glance at the at the watch and get some sort of key metrics on how things are going today. So I've got right on as one of the complications, I have OmniFocus and it shows me how many tasks are left in my hot list. I can be reminded of that. I can tap on it and go to see what those tasks are, things like that. So one of the problems with using technology for things like task management is it's so easy to have it get buried in the background and ignore it and not realize till the end of the day, oh, I never actually looked at OmniFocus today. So so that helps to keep it it present. Uh, And then I've also started to use one recently called Streaks, the habit creating app. And and you can actually, you can have up to six habits that you're working on at a time. And I generally wouldn't recommend having more than that anyway. Uh, so a habit might be to write in the journal or something like that. And then you can actually have a dot, kind of like the activity tracker in a way, um, on the complication of the watch. You can have basically a little dot for each each habit. And as you mark that complete, it fills in that that dot so you know when you let's say you're working on four habits actively and you see when you got the four dots are completed you know you've done all the habits for the day so again that's something that reminds me that i'm actually working developing those habits and i can tap on the complication and and mark the habit complete or or review or whatever needs to be done there so yeah that is a good tool as well i've used a few habit forming apps on the ios and this looks like a great one i'll check it out we'll download it have a link to that in the show notes Mm -hmm. yeah they just did a big update and it's it's even ties in with the health app which is really nice so you can you can set some health related goals and it'll essentially mark them complete for you based on the information that's being fed in from the the health app okay well, yeah, and if you're wanting any of the other tools we happen to mention, I'm sure you can find them online like Asana and OmniFocus, of course. I mean, come on. And learnomnifocus.com, where Tim Stringer does his great contribution to the world. If uh, you're interested in calendaring and doing that alongside of something like your task management system, then consider just if you don't already do it, it's really easy to just use something like Google Calendar or uh, the calendar app on the Mac and iOS. Just use something that's readily available to you and make it one of your goals one step at a time. You know, I'm going to use this for a month and see where I need to go from here. And what I found was when I got that habit formed with calendaring, which I really enjoy now, I just love calendaring, that I wanted to give it a significant upgrade with something like Fantastical. Though I'm not entirely satisfied at times with how I'm able to manage the tool on the Mac, I still find it very usable on the Mac and iOS. iOS is fantastic, and I highly recommend Fantastical too, so uh, check that out. Tim, thanks a bunch for being on this episode, bringing in the new year. Happy New Year. Thank you for showing up on this Friday, January 1st. 
Yeah, and Happy New Year, Joe and Joshua, and to everyone who's listening. And yeah, really great to be back. And that time sure flew by quickly. So <laughs> look forward to picking up the conversation again sometime soon. And Tim, where would you like people to find you online? So there's learnomnifocus.com, as you mentioned, and then my company is Technically Simple at technicallysimple.com. And if anybody wants to take a deep dive into productivity, I've got a uh, course that spans four months called the Holistic Productivity Online Course. And the next one is starting January 6th. And as we're recording, there's still a little bit of space left in that one, um, but I'll be doing more courses as the year goes on. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Stringer. Okay. Thank you, Joshua, for joining me for this episode. We're going to have to do something special for episode 40. I have something in mind. We're going to have to talk about, have some ideas. Sounds good. So this completes episode 39, everyone. Thank you for joining us for 2015 and looking forward to our time together in 2016. If you'd like to find more of anything that we mentioned on this episode, the show notes and the links are available at tectonic.fm slash 39 anytime you want to get to them or past episodes follow the show on twitter where it's at tectonic fm if you want to keep tabs on new releases and special announcements that's a great place to get to them if you're not subscribed to the show and you just want to get the episodes that interest you most and if you have something lengthy that you want to tell us you can send that via email to hello at tectonic.fm lastly i want to say a huge thanks to the handful of listeners that have already given us a star rating on iTunes. And if you haven't already done so, I'd really appreciate it if you would. If you get anything from this show, just uh, take a second to write us a sentence or two and let people know what you're getting from the show. Believe it or not, it would make a huge difference for us and exposure to the show. So we appreciate your feedback. As always, I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic and Happy New Year. <laughs>